This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, I'm joined by Cheryl Calverley, the CEO of Eve's Sleep, and Luke Smith, CEO and co-founder of digital marketing agency Crowd. Cheryl was a marketer with Unilever, Bird's Eye Igloo, and the AAA before joining Eve's Sleep as CMO in 2018. In May this year, she stepped up to be CEO, and the day we recorded this podcast, Eve's Sleep posted a strong set of results for the first half of the financial year. So at least that's one thing not keeping this CEO awake at night. One of the agencies Eve Sleep uses is Crowd, which was set up by Luke Smith and his business partner, Ben Knight, in 2011. Crowd enjoyed nine years of stellar growth. And late last year, the group received a reported 30 million investment from private equity group, LDC. Their clients include Victoria's Secrets, North Face, Timberland and Hiscox. And I should mention that Crowd is a client of the Propeller Group. Now, as Cheryl and Luke know each other very well, I'm going to shut up and let them get on with it. So uh, Cheryl and I have worked together for um, the past two or three years, but I think there there was a period of time in which, uh, you know, we were sort of getting to know one another, which was kind of towards the end of Cheryl's time at at the AA, who are also a a client of crowds and and moving into her new role at, um, her new role at at Eve Sleep. Uh, I think, um, we we first met in a uh, it was Covent Garden Hotel. Uh, I, I can remember. I can. I think Cheryl, you can remember what we were both wearing, which yes, I can. Is very <laughs> odd. Um, but uh, I can remember we talked about football stewarding and Southport in that order, uh, and I think that was the start of a great sort of friendship and uh, business partnership. Yeah, there's, there's always it's always nice when you meet a fellow Northerner. So we had a a, a bit of interaction about that, didn't we? Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, Cheryl, um, a DTC brand, um, you know, something, I guess, quite different than your previous worlds at Unilever and at the AA. Um, how, how has that transition been? And how has that particularly been during the past few months where uh, the kind of the whole world has been turned upside down by COVID and lockdown? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, people... We, we keep getting termed a D2C brand. I think that's just an accident of our, of our age more than anything else. We're a, my background is, a, is FMCG, it's products. And we're a, we're a product brand. We make great products. It just happens that we sell them more direct to consumer than we do through retail partners, although we have retail partners, which is, which is just a, an accident of, of the era we were born in, I think, more than anything else. Um, a happy accident because it's a it's a much more interesting way to work um, sort of directly with consumers rather than working through uh, sort of retail partners. I I personally think um, I think uh, you know and, and, it, and equally that it's an interesting transition for the AA to E because a lot of a lot of the thinking and strategy in a subscription D 2 C business, which is what the AA is. No one would ever no one would ever describe the AA as a D 2 C brand, but by the way, it is predominantly. Um, a lot of that thinking around how you use your data, how you build your uh, customer engagement, how you build your customer journeys, acquisition, an element of retention or lifetime value. A lot of that thinking is really, really similar. 
Um, so it was quite a nice, when I came to Eve, it was this nice kind of bringing together of my background in product. You know, I love making products that people love and packaging and real stuff that you can sell and point at and sit on or, you know, whatever. Bringing that together with what I'd learned at the AA, which is a lot more to do with the, the direct-to-consumer um, engagement, customer journeys, CRM, data, digital to an extent. Uh, and then on top of it all, you've got this, this wonderful, young, creative, quite inspirational, actually, business to work in, which, is, which was the first time I'd had that experience, which is the, the, probably the biggest learning for me, is, is that really. In many ways, you've seen real success, success and positives uh, from COVID and, and a shift in consumer behaviour. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a difficult time. Um, and I think there are some businesses that are really lucky and there are some businesses that are really unlucky. And a lot of it is not to do with anything the business has done. Um, and I'm, I'm finding it, you know, it's, it's really difficult presenting to my board, um, talking about the businesses that are unlucky as a positive for Eve. That feels, it feels, feels really conflicted, particularly as I've got, I've got loads of friends across the industry sitting in those unlucky businesses. And I, and I know personally how, how their days and weeks are feeling and it's horrible and for me to then be slightly, you know, pleasingly writing it on a competitor landscape slide is, is, mm -hmm. is really difficult. Um, but we are lucky. So we're sitting at this brilliant intersection between e-com and primarily an e-com business and, and our DNA is e-com. So we are a product business, we make products, but the DNA of our marketing team is e-commerce. They understand deeply and viscerally, you know, SEO and optimization of performance and acquisition and all that, you know, CRM, all that stuff is where they start, not, not, not what they're learning. Um, so at that, we're at that kind of the instincts of the business are e-com. And on top of that, we, we live in homewares. And this one thing this pandemic has done is it's kept an awful lot of people at home. Um, and inherently people are looking around going, oh, I've been meaning to source out my bedroom or indeed, shit, I've got, you know, I've now got my son and daughter staying when they would have gone to uni. We need to turn the office back into a bedroom. So there's been certainly, certainly no decline in the demand for homewares. And, and most of the data suggests that, that it's fairly significantly up. So we've just been We've been really lucky, and that's in you know, the results yesterday um, were a real sign of that. We've worked quite hard to make our own luck. Um, so we have done an awful lot of business in, in, in getting it sort of running on rails, right-sizing it, getting some of the processes and tech in place. We're replatforming at the moment, uh, which is really hard work and really, for the team, quite demoralizing and demotivating because it feels like you're trudging through mud for a very long marathon. Um, but what the, what, more than anything else, what this ex the latest experience has given us is a feeling that we're, we're now got some light at the end of the tunnel and people are starting to be able to see benefit of that really, really long trudge to get all the processes and systems and automation working. You know. I think so. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've seen it from working with you guys that you've put so many layers in place, so many layers when it comes to data, when it comes to engaging customers, when it comes to building the entire proposition and and that's sort of to your point you know you make your own luck and I, i'm a real believer in that like luck doesn't just happen you've got to have a combination of being in the right place at the right time but also have a a good product and a good a good strategy and i think we've seen we've seen a lot of that from you guys and and that's just dovetailed with the recent climate i mean across your client mix luke you must have seen some quite different reactions to the situation what's been the sort of biggest surprise amongst your client mix um, I think the, the biggest non-surprise is that travel has suffered significant, travel and hospitality obviously has, has suffered significantly, but I think, I guess a surprise within that is that 
Very few clients are saying we're stopping, you know, and, and I, that to me is a real positive that there's been a response from the marketplace. It's not quite bearing through in economic results and how we're doing as a, 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 as a country or as, you know, globally uh, for, from the economic impact. But nobody's giving up, even if you're a cruise business or a travel business, people are thinking about what's going to happen next January and beyond. And then, you know, it, it's just this shift, the shifting sands of the world and the, the, the world of business. And you know, a good example would be like IWG Regis and, and their approach to this. Mark Dixon's been quite vocal. Their, their CEO has been quite vocal about this is just going to change everything. Decentralized working, decentralized um, office space. But we are all, you know, I think going to go back to offices. So, you know, they're looking at the opportunities within this. Um, E-commerce, you know, is, is flying. Bricks and mortar client, uh, retailers are, are thinking, you know, fast about how they can evolve their business very quickly to pivot more towards e-commerce. It feels like, you know, in many ways, and I hear this a lot, is that, you know, as a, as a society, we've just moved, we've fast forwarded five years. This was always coming. Um, it's just, it's artificially been shifted that far forward. So it's been a, I think within our client base, it's been a mixed bag. We are more short-termist. There's, there's more short-termism in planning um, because we don't know what's around the corner. But I've been pleasantly surprised by the conversations and nobody's giving up. I think the, the pivot thing is really interesting. I mean, it, you know, pivot is a phrase that's, my God, it's another phrase that drives you mad. And you've had it, I've had it thrown at me so many times. We need to pivot, we need to pivot. You only pivot when you've got a pivot. Like pivoting is freaking hard. No, no, one, no one, if they're running in a straight line, would choose to pivot. It's much easier to carry on running in a straight line. The effort of pivoting is massive. Um, and actually what I think what this pandemic has done, this situation, this acceleration in the changing consumer behavior, which has happened, is forcing a pivot. And it's forcing that, that rotation in businesses. And for a lot of businesses, actually that's a massive relief. I've, seen, I've spoken to a lot of, of my friends and colleagues who said, this is giving us a chance to do stuff that we wanted to do, but we couldn't do because everyone was too, it was too much effort to pivot and it's much easier to carry on in the straight line. Whereas actually now there is a bloody great big brick wall in the straight line. So we've got to pivot and we've got to try some stuff. I think so. I, look, I felt that. I felt, look, I think you go through all sorts of emotions, right? You go through the emotion of, oh my God, we've lost a ton of revenue. You know, we lost 25% of our, our revenues overnight, which has never happened. We've been nine years of growth. So that all of a sudden, makes you set up and think, what are we going to do here? So you go through that emotion, then you go through the emotion of, right, how are we going to fix this? And then you go through the emotion of, this could be a positive, right? And one of the things I've been talking to my team about is this net positive position. So yes, our revenues might be uh, slightly impacted by this, but if they're impacted less or we've got a better plan for how we get those revenues back moving forward, alongside how our clients are feeling about us, so our NPS is better than it's ever been and we've just completed our next round you know and that's through the roof and that's because we've been a good partner you know our, our teams are being good partners to their to their clients and then how's our business what does it look like what's the structure are we are, are we taking this opportunity while we're all in, all in lockdown to say are we doing the right things like we're not all traveling at 100 miles an hour we're not all going you know to 15 meetings a day it gave us a bit of a chance to reflect and i think you know certainly within the sort of uh the evolution of Crowd's business and where we were in our life cycle, uh, it worked really well. And I think we'll, we, I'd like to think we, we as a business and, and many other businesses will come out stronger. 
I'm going to I'm going to ask you something, Cheryl. That um, you'll probably push back at me and say, "What are you talking about?" But I'm going to do it. Push back, I'm such gonna, a thing, never happened. I'm going to be brave. We're not in the same room. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be brave. So I've always, you know, something that we've talked about a lot and not always agreed on is just around the the marketing of products in a really kind of, uh, in, in, certainly in the DCC world, in a, you know, a, a very busy marketplace. And you've, you've come into EVE and there are clearly a number of competitors out there. How do you market it? How, you know, how do you focus? You know, what do we do from a performance perspective? What do we do from a brand perspective? You know, it is DTC, it is a busy marketplace. How, how do you make it, how do you differentiate? So I'm a marketeer. If there is not a busy marketplace, I don't have a job, right? If, you, if you've got a really quiet, if, you're, if you've got a really quiet marketplace, if you are the only person because you've got IP in a market, then the marketeer, the marketeer's job is, is, is pretty minimal. My job, like literally I exist to win in a busy marketplace. Um, so I love a busy marketplace. And if you show me a quiet marketplace, I'll show you a small market. So you know, there's nothing better than going, everyone is fighting for this market. Well, it shows you there's a market there. And we know there's, I mean, like you show me another category with 100% penetration, absolutely 100% penetration. Uh, there ain't that many. I'm a brand marketeer. So I, the reason that I do what I do is because the best way to win in a busy marketplace is to build the strongest brand. And brand is a combination of great products that work well for customers, great uh, promises that customers believe and engage with, great customer experience that, that customers absolutely love, and then freaking good advertising that gets people excited and, and makes them want to be with your brand. And that's it's really simple. Uh, I think you probably schooled me a little bit on uh, how uh, marketing works, which I think was probably quite important. Just taking that on a level, if we assume that, you know, all marketplaces are marketplaces, everybody's sort of D2C in some way, shape or form, or, or, or most businesses have an element of that. How are you, you know, you come from a brand world. How do you bring the worlds of brand and performance together? And do you see them, how, how do you see all of, all of those elements fitting together? Yeah, I mean, I don't, and I, you know, I suppose I am a fairly sort of, sort of strategic, hypothetical marketer, thinker. So um, I don't really think about brand and performance as separate things. Because I'm a, I'm a, my background is psychology. I'm a psychologist, sort of by training. So what what you're dealing with is brand in brand and performance is memory structures and activating memory structures, and that's just that's just a human brain. So you have memory structures. Uh, you know, I, I I love ice cream. I remember ice cream. Then you have an activation of memory structure. It's a hot day. There's an ice cream van. That. Those two things, you don't, you don't separate those things. Without it being a hot day and an ice cream van, you won't buy an ice cream. If you've never had an ice cream or loved ice cream or seen ice cream, it doesn't matter if it's a hot day and an ice cream van, you won't buy ice cream. So that's the two things we're working with. Yeah. So I suppose I step back and I'm just always looking at every, everything we're doing as a business. And this is the other thing. I think the, this is not about the marketing investment. It's everything we're doing from an experience a customer has when they phone up through to something they might read about us in the press, through to seeing a box on the street, through to... I don't know, a trust pilot review, all that sort of stuff builds your opinion and your feeling about a brand, yeah, which is, which is a deep-seated feeling. You know, you see the galloping black horse and you have a feeling of Lloyd's big and safe. That's a feeling. And then at the right time, hopefully, with your brilliant help, Luke, we try and prompt that action from that memory structure at a point when someone is looking for a mattress or a bed frame or a pillow or whatever and it's just about balancing those things and looking at all all of your metrics you know there's mps 
we measure in the business we measure sleep wellness score so are we helping people sleep better which is our promise because actually the if people say to, to other people bought need mattress and sleep better that is the most powerful driver of brand that's something i cannot buy i can't put that on i can't advertise it on telly i mean i'll do a bit but yeah. I, what i'm relying on is delivering a great experience that other people tell other people and that is my biggest kind of builder of brand particularly as a small business that's quite a material bit of of the noise and then we just look to to spend in the right way and you know i've got a brilliant team brilliant brilliant team who work with you guys to optimize stuff to look at different channels and play with the the, the, the dials and, and the and the sort of volumes and, and look what's working and then over the long term i think what what i really want to do is to stop thinking so much about that product sale but more about that customer, that customer. and the value yeah. that customer can give us across that sort of sleep wellness journey whether by buying from us or by referring other customers or by you know telling their mother that they're sleeping better i don't care all that is value into the business from the customers so much you know as we go forward as a business i'm going to talk much more about customer acquisition than product sales you're listening to the dog and bone podcast from propeller group if you're enjoying it please share the link with your network subscribe on itunes or your normal podcast provider and if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, your role at Eve, Eve Sleep? Because um, uh, first of all, the moment, what, what, what was the first feeling? What was the first thought that came into your head when, so, or when you found out you were going to be the CEO of, of Eve Sleep? Um, fuck, main thing I thought. Um, and this is weird. And uh, well, first thing you go is like, what the, what the fuck do I do now? That, that's weird as fuck. Particularly because the conversation I had was, you can't say anything to anyone. You just need to go away and think about this. Like, because tomorrow we have to decide. <laughs> and I was like, right, because that's not my normal style. My normal style is, uh, is to talk to friends and, and people and, and bounce things off. So that was my first thought. My second thought was actually, this is really logical. One of my agendas, if you're going to pick personal agendas is that marketing is business it is not a part of business mm. uh, and i think we are in a risk in the industry of seeing marketing as a, as, a, as, a, as a discipline or a silo within business and a silo that by the way should have no opinion on product or should have no opinion on price or should have no opinion on supply chain or customer experience and my mind to my mind that's bullshit marketing and i grew up in unilever marketing is all five p's and all five p's to take the stuff you sell to the customer and the customer buying things is what makes your business exist. So for me, marketeers absolutely should be at the heart of the business and they should be a significant proportion of CEOs, particularly in very customer centric businesses. I mean, you know, I'm not sure the marketeer being a CEO of, an, of a mining company is important, but when you've got a product business or a customer driven business, marketeers as CEOs is absolutely logical. So I suppose I, my, I was my, my sort of one of my fairly early thoughts was it's a logical move for me. And it's something I wanted to do anyway. Um, but also, actually, this gives me a real opportunity to show how a marketeer can lead and should lead a, a product-centric business. Uh, and an opportunity to just to do it, to do it what I want to do it the way I wanted to do it and see if I could do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And um, so your, I assume your role has changed significantly. You've got to um, attend a few more... Uh, uh, investor meetings and, and <laughs> we not swear. Do you, know, do you know what? I think aside, I mean, the investor stuff is new, obviously. Um, although it's not uh, where we are in our journey, it's not a massive part of my day. We're not out 
talking particularly for funding we're well funded so it's yeah. it's much more of a maintenance and, and and to be honest it's maintenance and pr which i'm which is pr is core part of marketing so i'm quite comfortable with that side of it mm-hmm. um most of my role hasn't changed i wouldn't say it's changed significantly so because of the nature of the marketeer that i am and i was i was pretty heavily involved across the business anyway but much more as a peer so much more here's here's my opinion on on this matter uh, mm. i'm relatively opinionated i'm not backwards in coming forwards um so more than anything else it's just given me the <laughs> the kind of the kind of the authority i think to have those opinions you know within the business i, ha- I was having those opinions anyway but now i have a right to have those opinions to my mind it's funny isn't it how how times shift and it used to be that CEOs came from, used to, you know, most CEOs, FTSE 250 CEOs came from, um, used to come from, you know, CFO role, because that was the sort of natural shift. Whereas now I think people are seeing that customer engagement is probably the number one priority for, for business and how we get, uh, you know, build a business through that. So, I, I mean, I was absolutely delighted to hear the news. And I think, um, uh, and it's good to see, you know, CEOs with personality uh, <laughs> You know, CEOs. I could take that as a compliment and not the backhanded compliment it was intended it, as. It is very much a backhanded compliment, Joe, <laughs> but but it is a compliment nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, and actually that I mean one of one of my one of my kind of you know there's there's lots of navel gazing when you you step into this. Lots of navel gazing, mind you. I spend a lot of time gazing at my navel anyway. But one of my sort of big internal debates has been, what do I slightly do with myself? We were, we were just joking before we started this podcast. I've now got investor things where you're not allowed to swear and you should really consider whether or not you you know have multicolored hair and what they're going to think of the clothes you wear and i've got marketing things where i can be myself and you know the industry knows me and they know who i am and 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 it's all fun so it is and what i what i what i can't do and i would never do is become inauthentic so i kind of have to do it the way i've always done it which is i kind of go this is me if it doesn't work for you then that's this this won't work because i can't you know, yeah. I can't lose my authenticity, but it is, it is, a, it's the first time I've had to face into that really, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, look, I think, you know, it, you do go through, a, been, been on a similar journey, you go through this learning curve, but the key thing is, I'm not sure of the word authenticity. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you know, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. You've just got a bit, got to be yourself, Sharon. Yeah. You know, that, that is the, that is the key. Uh, and, and, and not, not, sort of try and be some somebody else and you've got your skills and you've got your strengths and then build a team around you that uh, that, that complements those those skills how did you so when you when you when you sort of took that that whopping chunk of funding which i gleefully saw the headlining campaign that told me that luke was now a multi-billionaire and definitely owed me dinner well, how well, did that feel uh that felt uh like a i mean i we sort of drank some champagne and some sort of lawyer's office in farringdon or wherever they, they are you know near near holborn uh, and then we fell over and, and, and I didn't really get up for about three days because it was it was a pretty intense journey. By the way, uh, the money wasn't quite as much as, as, <laughs> as we reported. I think I told Gideon Spania that um, after going out for lunch on the Friday after. So it was slightly less than reported and we did share a lot with the team. So uh, mine's all gone now. So I, I, that, that, that gives me the incentive to keep keep growing the uh, uh, keep growing the agency. But it, it felt good. It was it was the right decision. We had a number of conversations with uh, strategic potential strategic buyers, uh, um, and we also had a number of conversations with PE firms. I think you know both Ben and I felt that we were still on a mission. 
we've got a uniquely different um, agency business and um, it, you know we, we just wanted to keep going and I think if as soon as you become part of a bigger group things change and actually you know while uh, you know the, the sort of perfect storm of private equity part ownership and COVID has been an interesting one and a few, mm, a few more gray hairs and late nights yeah. it was definitely the right decision we've got really good partners I hope they won't mind me telling them that I had a breakfast with them yesterday. I didn't think private equity firms did this, but they actually, you know, two guys took me out after the board members and said, um, uh, how are we doing as partners? And I thought, oh, that is not, that is, yes. isn't that nice? Isn't that isn't nice? That, that is not, that is not the, no. uh, the impression I was given of, um, uh, of PE. They've educated us a lot. And what we can now do is just carry on our mission to, you know, build an incredibly strong and global uh, digital marketing performance agency business. I mean, I, I'm very lucky. My, my board is, I've got a wonderful board. And actually my, the, my previous, the CEO, who is my boss, James, yeah. uh, is now on our board. So I've got, I've got my stabilizers, as I describe him, um, on uh, as, a, as a rookie CEO. My chairman's absolutely wonderful. And I'm, I did at one point, uh, he'd sent, my chairman had sent some lovely notes because uh, he's just an unbelievably lovely guy. Uh, and a very good chairman, and, he, and I responded and said, look, did you not go to the same chairman's school as everyone else? Because I've never known a chairman like this. <laughs> so your chairman, that's Paul Pinder, and of course, James Sturrock was the CEO before you. We all look for people that we want to, you know, it's really important to find people we want to work with, and, and that, when we went through our process, much of the reason we went with the partners we did was because of personality, right? It's people you get on with, people you can look in the eye and go, I think we're going to work well together. And that is, that is so, so, so important. It is my, it's my, I mean, I've got my opinions on the pitch process and chemistry meetings. I was talking to someone about it on the weekend. It is my fundamental sort of, as I've got older and I realize you get older and you, some of the safety net that you use when you're younger around data and process, you have the confidence not to need. Uh, as I've got older, I'm more and more firmly of the opinion that, whether you can get on with someone and work with someone and challenge them and be challenged back is 98% of the success because to be quite honest, we're in London. Everyone we work with is going to be good, you know, pound for pound, you know, gun for gun. They're going to be good. The difference is whether you can make great work together and do great things together. And that's about the together. Same as running a business. You know, my team are brilliant. I could go to market and get a similarly brilliant set of people, but the difference is this team is a bloody good team and they work really well together. And that is so important. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I think the, and I think one of the things that agencies don't do enough of is challenge. And, you know, if we see clients not doing what we think is the right thing, because we've got a, a position of, of knowledge, then we should be challenging our clients. And, too, I think too many agency relationships ended up in this sort of, you know, you hand your homework in and, you know, handing my, my homework in to Cheryl, the teacher, and, is, you know, what am I going to get out of 10, which is just such a, the wrong approach. It's got to be collaborative. It's got to be a partnership, for want of a better word. And it's got to be in the interest of making your business better, which is also going to make my business better and, 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 and having an honest and open dialogue about that stuff. Well, I think, and I think particularly, you know, I don't, I know jack shit about what you do. Like, honestly, I cannot do your job. That's, that. You do, you do. <laughs> you probably know more than me, but, but I have it, a lot of people who, who do know jack shit about that. But, you, it, but in reality, so there's no point in me judging your homework, and, but, I, but I do need to trust you. 
and I need to trust that you're going to challenge when you need to challenge. And also that, that when we say, here you challenge, but we're just going to do this for this reasons, you're also going to listen. And I think, you know, there's one thing I think, I think there's loads of things I'd like to see agencies do differently and do better, but that much more com a confident conflictual relationship is, is yeah, and, and I think that agency client dynamic has somewhat been eroded in the, I think it's actually come back a bit now, but you know, that whole procurement led pitch. So procurement led pitch race to the bottom, who can do it the cheapest? Guess what? Clients get underwhelmed by the, the service levels they get from agencies because agencies can't afford to do it or they'll, you know, embellish what they can do for the money and then not, not, not staff up or not, not in the right way. I think, I feel like we've come through that a little bit. Uh, and procurement are still involved, and, and so they should be, but in a smart way that says, you know, what am I paying for and what, and what am I getting? Because it isn't just about who's cheapest, it's about who's going to build the best solution. And I think s solutions is key. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I don't want to sell you search and SEO, much as that's kind of what we do for you. I want to build a solution that taps into the right, all of the different channel mix, all of the different data sources. I want to use you know, 10 different disciplines within our agency and even more within our network to build the right solution for you guys. And some of it will cost this. I'll be fully transparent with what it costs and I won't make margins, but I'll tell you what it costs. And if we can't do it, we need to find another way. Then I'll reduce the cost, or, but it will, there'll be a, a rel relative reduction in what it is. To me, that seems really straightforward. And I think for a while, client agency relationships got away from that. Well, I do think it's straightforward, but I also think a lot of agencies aren't structured in a, in a way to be able to do that. So if I think, so one of the reasons I really like you guys, um, and there's a few agencies who are similarly sort of thinking, is that you've got a completely fluid structure because literally the way you're set up, you go, we can just, we literally will just connect whatever you need, whatever dots you need to connect. Mm. Um, and, and it will be sitting around a central team that understands the business and that is fluid. So it's in and out. So we can go up and down, left and right, bit more of this, bit less of that on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, you know, so you can, and particularly as a startup business that's learning and we try something and suddenly it works, we go, right, shit, we kind of will we'll redirect it. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly when you get to, to big agency land, um, by, by which I mean sort of more sort of monolithic, multifunctional, you know, above the line agencies, the challenge you've got is that you, you just, they just aren't able to fluidly reshape around client needs. So you kind of go, look, I'm going to plug you into that team and then we're going to sell you that. And you go, hang on a minute, we thought we wanted that, but as we've gone through the process, we now realize we want this. That agency's not able to then go, oh, fine, well, boom, 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 there's that. Or here's his. And I think, you know, my, my challenge to the agency landscape for the, next, for the next six months, year is, look, consumers have gone through five, five years, 10 years of change in three months. And agencies don't, aren't, aren't the most strategic things in the world anyway. But if they aren't thinking ahead, really thinking ahead now, they're going to find suddenly they've got clients going well, we went through the change and we've just le leapt from venus to mars and now we're on mars and you're still on freaking venus guys this business doesn't fit us anymore and it's the agencies i think that that will be that are thinking forward and particularly understanding their client mix and the change they're going through and going right how fundamentally do we need to change our ways of working our structure our capability you know everything about us our cost base to fit the future client need because if you don't do that it's going to be common so, Cheryl, in uh, time-honoured uh, tradition, uh, as this is the, the Dog and Bone podcast, we have to open up our, bare our souls and tell the world uh, about uh, one of our, our most embarrassing moments uh, in, in the industry. I'm going to think of mine, uh, but first of all, over. So I, 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 
I was talking to, to Martin in advance of this podcast and he did warn me this question comes and I, I knew immediately what my answer was. And actually anyone that's worked with me uh, at the AA will probably also know uh, what my answer is. So uh, I'd been at the AA about a year. I was head of group marketing at the time. Uh, and my marketing director, a very lovely guy called Chris, um, had a house in Italy. So Chris said, look, you know, go and use the house. Use my house. You know, it's, it's empty. Go and use it. So we went out. We had a fabulous holiday with my sister and mother-in-law in Chris's house in Italy. Great time. Obviously packing to leave on the final day. And you know what it's like packing. I think my kids were like five and two or something like that. So it's all stressful. Children everywhere. Chaos. We've got to get back to the airport. Yada, yada, yada. So I left my husband upstairs packing whilst I you know, cleaned and corralled. We got in the car, drove to the airport, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, my husband was driving, and, I was, and we, were, we were about 10 minutes from the airport, and I went, uh, you did empty the, the bedside table drawer, didn't you? And he, he sort of turned to me and went, no, why would, it, why would you put anything in the bedside table drawer? I mean, what a weird place. And we'd been sleeping in, um, clearly, what was the master bedroom, so it's my boss and his wife's bed we're sleeping in. He said, what did you put in the bedside table drawer? You know, is it, is it headphones or something? I'm like, no, it was all my knickers. <laughs> He'd left the whole week's worth, and this is a week's worth of, you know, knickers that have been used every week in my boss's bedside table drawer. I get back to work and I have to take my boss to one side and say, because he was about to go out to the house and say, look, um, if you could, when you first get to the house, before, could, could, you, could you go in first before your wife? And if you could just go straight upstairs with a black bin bag, just empty the drawer in a bag, put it in the bin. Just work continues. He buggers off on holiday for a couple of weeks. Returns. So, and then, so two weeks later, Monday uh, comes in. I hear him singing coming up the corridor. So I'm at my desk typing. I can hear him. He's got quite a deep baritone voice. And he's singing away. Da, 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 da. And he walks in. And he walks in carrying this black bin bag, very publicly, middle of the office. And goes, here you are, Cheryl. Here's your knickers. Oh, brilliant. Amazing. Come on well, then, Luke. Come on, come on. Can you, can you improve on dirty oh, knickers in your boss's drawer? You know, I've racked my brains. No, I can't be that. I can't be that. But what I am going to talk about is um, I've always had this like real belief in myself that I can spot talent. You know, I can spend 30 seconds with someone. I can tell whether they're brilliant. So I hired an MD um, in Australia. He won't listen to this because uh, probably hasn't got access to the internet these days. But he was recommended to me by, by a, a current colleague and, um, and he'd worked with a number of people who, who now work at Crown. Uh, and he works in Australia. He said, I'd love to launch Crown Australia. And we, um, we embarked on this journey together. And I said, you know, this guy's great. You know, we were a year and a half into our business. This is the opportunity for international expansion. We are really going places. And for a year and a year, year and a half, two years, we were going places. The business was growing. He hired a team. And then he became slightly more distant. I mean, he was distant anyways, 25,000 miles away, but he became a lot more distant when it came to communication. And, uh, and then, you know, gradually, you know, the business wasn't performing quite as well. We came to a sort of head and, and he, you know, decided that he was going to leave the business. Uh, he started another um, uh, effectively duplicate business using some of the same people we use in our crowdy network. This is me who I have a brilliant way of spotting talent and tr trusting human beings. So we started another business, uh, took some of our staff, then defrauded those people uh, and left his wife and child and ran off to Thailand to be with an exotic dancer. So 
I think I probably learned a lesson on not quite being as trustworthy and not being quite as confident on how uh, good I was at spotting talent and, for, and, and, and integrity. Well, we have to stop there. Cheryl and Luke, that was a fascinating conversation. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for being on the Dog and Bone podcast. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us, Martin. Thanks for joining us on the Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog. <laughs>